Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Kimberly McGeorge. The views expressed on the secret to everything are not necessarily those of the host, the co-host, or our guests. All medical information given is for informational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose any disease or condition. Please see your medical doctor or qualified health practitioner if you have any further questions. And as always, thank you for listening. Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, N.D., CNH, is the best-selling author of the ebook. The Secret to Everything, Manifesting the Life You Desire, now. Available on Amazon. She has practiced naturopathic medicine for over 20 years. She is a gifted intuitive, medium, empath, paranormal investigator, and remote viewer. She travels and gives classes and lectures across the country, as well as taking limited private clients. Trained in many modalities of healing, Dr. Kimberly has been practicing energy healing exclusively for the last 10 years. Dr. Kimberly has the ability to raise your vibration in person or long distance, and as a result, change everything in your life for the better, forever. A gifted transformationalist, she has developed TEB, or Transformational Energy Balancing, in order to facilitate permanent and rapid healing in her clients. Her desire is to be your last healer. And now, the host of The Secret to Everything, Dr. Kimberly McGeorge. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Secret to Everything. Thank you for listening tonight. It looks like it's going to be a very interesting night. So thank you for joining us. I'd like to welcome our beautiful and talented um Producer and co-host, Ms. Kara from Strange Days Indeed. Kara, are you there? Yes, I am here. How are you doing? I don't know. I'm hearing like a weird echo as usual, but it's bearable, so we'll kind of go with it. Are you hearing anything, Kara? I'm hearing a bad echo, so I'm going to try and deal with it right now. Okay. I'm going to welcome everybody else. We have... Mr. T.G. from um, the Intuitive Paranormal Society. T.G., are you there? Yes, I am. I'm right here. Are you hearing our weird echo? Yes, I am. I'm also hearing it as well. Um, can't figure that out. I uh, don't know if somebody else is trying to uh, call in. Well, that's interesting. Okay, maybe Kara can... Um, I don't know if she's going to get off and call back in, but we'll keep plugging away for the moment and try to figure it out. Um, and is Walt... Here from Scott yes, here. <laughs> <Got> <laughs> oh, welcome. And Kareem, are you here? Uh, kind of. <laughs> what's going on? 
Was that a yes or was that a maybe or what was that? Halfway here, halfway not. You're halfway here? Well, I want to hear about your house sometime, but maybe not on the air. Kara, are you going to hang up and call back? Do you think it's you and I being on the same line? Maybe she already did. Okay. Well, um, I thought we would start off, and it seems like we really, really need it. We have I put together a little meditation for a phone call I was just on. So I'm going to mute everybody, and I'm going to go ahead and play this meditation, and then we'll get started with the show um, with announcements. Hopefully we'll be able to hear them by that time. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. Hold on a minute, everybody. This is Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, transforming into a state of all possibility. Close your eyes. Tilt your eyes, not your head. Tilt your eyes about 20 degrees upward. This is like you're going to look to the side and then go up about 10 degrees or 15 degrees. Now tilt your head 20 degrees downward and touch the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth. Sit there and become aware of your whole being. Now, take a deep breath in and in your mind. Imagine the number three. Three times while breathing out slowly until the lungs are empty. So three, three, three. Breathe out. All the way out. Take another deep breath in and in your mind. Imagine the number two three times while breathing out slowly until the lungs are empty. Two, two, two. Feeling your entire body relax deeper and deeper with every breath. Breathe in deep and hold it for just a moment. Then imagine the number one three times while breathing out slowly until your lungs are empty. One, one, one. Once you have emptied your breath the final time, begin counting down from 10 to 1 with each slow out breath and each number. Feel your body and mind double in relaxation. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, Four, three, two, and one. Plug into your energy from head to toe. You should now feel completely relaxed, completely expanded. Every day's stress has just melted away, and you can begin to sense the energy of the entire room as well as within your body. This is a state you want to hold from which sensing and being can occur. 
Everything is much clearer in this place. You can hear guidance, that still, small voice from within, your intuition. All right, and that is my little meditation that I threw together a few minutes ago. Called, um, I don't remember what it's called. Maybe transforming into consciousness or something like that. As usual, Blog Talk Radio has me rattled a little bit. What did you think of that meditation, Miss Kara? I thought it was great. I liked it. Are Are you still hearing that echo? I still am. Is now is that associated with my headphones? You know what? I might um, when Walt gets reading the announcements, I might just call back in on the host number. I think it's Skype. Melinda said Skype's been having tons of problems, so I'm gonna maybe hang up and call back in on the phone. I think that might be better. So Walt, if you'd like to get started with the announcements, I'm gonna go ahead and, and try that. So you guys are on your own. Try get back in. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That was that was a great meditation too, by the way. Oh, you're so sweet. Feel- Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel recharged. Yeah, I'll um, <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Ready. I'm going to hang up, you guys. Okay, I'll come back in. Okay, um, upcoming shows and events. We have some big, important news beginning in October. The Secret to Everything will be changing names to the Dr. Kim Show. Dr. Kim, Dr. Kim will speak your telesummit schedule will be as follows. October 2nd with Debbie Fumanti www.loveyourlifeexperience.com That's at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then October 3rd with Cindy Kubica, Energized Living Today at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then October 11th, Aaron Sahid from heart8tojoy.com That's at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on October 16th, we have Adelaide O'Dunton, Healing Circle, at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on October 18th, we have Warren Dean for Wealth Mastery at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then Dr. Kimberly will be speaking on your Wealth Revolution and Dan Hanneman's Telesummit Series in November. So check out the website at www.secrettoeverything.com for more information. On October 3rd, I'll say Greg Freeman will be leading us closer to consciousness, followed by Sandra Snead Godscribe, who will be talking about the hidden tale of Eve. Sandra and Greg will both be taking questions, and Sandra will be giving readings live on the air, so call in early to get your free reading. Then, on October 10th, we have the gifted Angela Latiscue, who will be speaking on holistic weight loss, for the first hour, just in time for the holidays. And then the head of Aerial Phenomena will, will also join us to talk about the latest in UFO news. Then on October 17th, we have the talented Marie Rarotonda, a psychic killer, will be joining us the first hour. And the second hour, we have a couple called the new Esther and Jerry Hicks, who will be chairing doing readings and hearings for both hours for our lucky callers. So be sure to call in early for that one. And as always, check out www.secrettoeverything.com for your latest news and product information and services. Uh, you can also reach us on Twitter for the awesome Dr. Kim. You can find her at Serene Wellness. And for Facebook, Dr. Kim is at Serenity Natural Wellness or 
Kimberly McGeorge, and that is for Facebook. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Ghost Hunter Walt. Uh, the lovely Kara is at Coast Number Two Coast Kara C A R A. Then we have uh, T G at Intuitive Underscore P S. And then last but not least, we have Kareem, and I'm still waiting for him to follow me back on Twitter. And that's at, at King Cashflow. It's K A I N G K A S H F L O. So back to you. Well, can you guys still hear all that interference? Uh, I hear a little. Uh, TG, can you hear it? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can hear it as well. Really bad for me, and I cut back into my. Can you hear that? Yes, it, it, it's actually it seems like it got a little bit worse. Yeah, I'm thinking, you guys. I think I think to do this, but I cannot do the show like this. It's really, really bad, and I I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's blog talk. I don't know if it's something else. If you guys know what I mean. But I cannot really, I mean, this is horrible sound quality, but I mean, it's really difficult for me to hear. I don't know about you, TG. And Kara's not talking. Kara, are you on? So I don't know. So I'm thinking. No, you know, um, that, that echo's gone. Oh, good. Is, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to call it a show because I'm not going to fight that, like, for the whole time. Maybe Black Pack, like, came into the chat room and, and fixed it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. I don't know where Kara is, but it is gone. Well, I wanted to talk I, about a couple of things. Um, did you want to say something? Did you? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I just want to talk about a couple of things since our plans have um, kind of changed a little bit so we have a little more time before we get into our first topic. And then our second topic will have Arthur Fram, and he'll be talking about um, archaeology and kind of talk to our lives today, things like that. But if you'd like to get my newsletter, you need to go to my website, www.secrettoeverything, and sign up, and we have a couple things going on. One of the things I talked about in there that I wanted to mention tonight is the planetary influences coming into October. And the overall vibration is just really supportive of beginning new endeavors, but financially it's going to be a little rocky, especially if you play the stock market. It's going to be a volatile time. So you might want to think about transferring some of your assets to more solid assets. There's going to be a lot of weather upheaval, as a matter of fact. Um, Alden and I were talking today, and I, there was like a mini tornado. <laughs> it was like a torrential downpour. So um, I think the weather's going to get kind of rocky. Um, one of the things is I'm working with many of you in my practice. I'm seeing quite a bit of fear and anxiety in energy fields, especially as we approach the end of the year and the holidays. And I just kind of like you guys to unplug from all the fear vibration that's in the world around you and commit to your own lives and your own um, spiritual growth and consciousness, regardless of what everybody else is saying or um, experiencing, because it really does come down to you're creating your own experience and you're creating your own reality, so you have control over that. And if you work on bringing up your vibrational field, you can actually influence other people so that everybody's not living in this um, horrible vibrations. And, well, I don't remember if you said this because I wasn't on, but did you announce my upcoming schedule at all? Like the things I was speaking of. Did you talk I about sure that? I sure did. Oh, that's so nice of you. Well, Kara, <laughs> um, <laughs> are you back on yet? I don't know where you are. No. Okay, so we were supposed to have, I think she might be coming back. We were supposed to have Spike Paranormal on, but we um, 
some things came up, and so they aren't coming on. But I kind of wanted to throw out a topic to the listening audience, and if you want, you can call in. We'll do a few free readings, possibly, um, in between our topic until our second hour guest calls in. But one of the things that's been coming up over and over with light workers and light warriors in the past couple weeks is the aspect of spiritual attack and spiritual protection. How do you protect yourself against kind of like a psychic energy attack from other people and um, their um, vindictiveness sometimes? And also, how do you protect yourself spiritually when you go into an investigation? I know TJ and I have talked quite a bit about that. And um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that open to the listening audience. If you have any questions about that topic, um, you can call in at 646-569-712, and we can um, kind of talk about anything paranormal because that's what the first hour is going to be if you have questions or want to know how um, the infamous yeah. <laughs> audience TG investigates or Walt, um, you know, Claire's houses or investigates or Kira and I, our experiences, we can just kind of throw that open. So if anybody has any thoughts on that that you guys want to start with, feel free, because I feel like I've been talking the whole time. Actually, you know, I do have something, um, uh, Dr. Kim, that I know I, I'm going to mention it to you, even though I haven't uh, mentioned it uh, off the air. Um, but I know we talked about before, like especially with my uh, with my team or, you know, the group that we're in, uh, Intuitive Paranormal, whenever other members end up running across different things, how it could be people in different, you know, they're at their own house, and then everybody gets affected by it. And um, I was talking to uh, medium Stephanie, and actually she's listening in today. Um, but um, she was telling me that um, there were some events going on with her, and this, and we were just, you know, just uh, relaying the story back and forth, and we didn't even know. I was getting activity here at my house as well the same night she was getting activity at her house as well. And I know we uh, talked about how how that kind of you know whenever there's been stuff that has happened to one of the members in the group, how I'll get you know visitors so to speak, um, letting me know they're kind of getting into something, and then I'll make a phone call or send a text, and sure enough, you know they're they're in the um, uh, you know they might be out investigating, they might have run into something uh, the night before, or they're dealing with uh, stuff even down to the topic that we're talking about now, uh, dealing with um, uh, protection. Uh, from, you know, whenever we go in and investigate, it is, it's quite a challenge because you do have to protect oneself way more um, being, uh, having abilities compared to others. I mean, we really have to uh, come really prepared. And uh, I know for ourselves, we've, we've come a long way to, to, to figure that one out because we didn't do that in the, in the very beginning when we used to investigate. TG, what are some uh, of the ways that you, you protect yourself and, and the members of your group protect yourself? We use a lot of well, we use a lot of different uh things. Um, we use different types of incense, different types of knowledge from uh different um using the different um spiritual aspects, like say for example the the um meditation going into the chakras. Uh we also use uh stones as well. Um also of course uh the Bible, holy water, um and also um of course uh, people use the sage uh, as well, but there's also different uh, blends of incense that you could go ahead and kind of burn, um, as well as um, knowing people that do removals as well whenever we do end up having uh, anything. Um, but that's a lot of times before we go in, well, into an investigation, um, mm -hmm. most of the time what we try to do is we try to take some time out to meditate and try to 
align our chakras and, and also start burning some uh, some incense. Um, after that, once we're there, um, depending on the place that it is, because of course I do private investigations as well, um, we try to maybe show up a little bit earlier, um, say you know different prayers um, before we begin, and then that's when we go ahead and begin our investigation. Whenever we do public uh, public locations, um, depending on the place, we'll go ahead and do it beforehand if we can. If not, then we'll go ahead and do it afterwards when we meet up um, uh, from that investigation. Hmm, well, you know what, um, TG, if you and Stephanie were experiencing problems at your homes, you know what your major problem is, don't you? Uh, yes. Well, I, okay. Your major problem is you don't have any spiritual protection device. <laughs> I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, Dr. Kim, what, you know, what I was getting was more just seeing stuff, and then also, of course, the biggest thing uh, with me is always the voices that I always end up getting, uh, as well as uh, the sensations of just knowing that there's uh, stuff that's always around, or I should say people that are always around. But I need one of your devices. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, do you have one of my devices? Well, thank you for asking, Dr. Kimberly. I sure do. Um, <laughs> i got to tell you, since I, I've only had it for a couple of days, um, but I immediately noticed uh, a change in the energy around the house. Uh, it just felt safer. It felt calmer. Um, it, it really, I mean, I got to tell you, I was a little skeptical when I got it. And uh -huh. then just seeing... It works. I mean, it really is amazing. Well, good. Um, Kara, can can you speak? Sorry, you guys. I'm still testing. Kara, can I speak? I've never <laughs> been I've never been aware if I could really speak or not because my toddler does not listen to me. But I guess I am if you can hear me. <laughs> yeah, forget it. Go sit you back on mute. No, I'm teasing. No, this um, episode's like the Twilight Zone. It might be your, like your meditation. The energy probably knocked everything out. Yeah, it's such a weird. Why does this always? Well, I shouldn't say that because Melinda did say you know it's been happening to a lot of people. But what a crazy, crazy night. So okay, so we kind of talked about what TV does. Well, um, what do you do for spiritual protection it, when you go into an investigation, or you investigate, like you investigated last night? Did you do anything to protect yourself? Um, yeah, I have a I have a uh, a prayer that I use sometimes. I also sometimes will surround myself in white light as a protection, and. Occasionally, if I'm going into a place that may be more dangerous, I may uh, imagine myself putting on a suit of armor, and and I actually put it put it on like I'm like I'm one leg at a time, like I'm putting on the suit of armor, and believe it or not, it works. Um, is it 100 <laughs> percent? Is it 100 percent? No, because if something wants to come home with you, it will. But if you do nothing, I guarantee you something will most likely happen. Right, and that's a really great point. And it's kind of the same thing, um, I think, with, you know, like psychic attacks or people that are coming at you. I think you have to um, remain in a certain state of vigilance, wouldn't you say, Kara, where it's not like you're paranoid or looking for it, but I think you need to um, definitely not keep your energy field absolutely open or make yourself a target of either 
people or, you know, spiritual entities. Cream, oh, do you yeah. have any thoughts? Go ahead. Oh yeah, I really, I really real, I really realized that. No, um, I realized <laughs> that because I've always had a hard time remembering to shield myself. And when I go, you know, a week or two weeks, and I'm not shielding myself, I definitely start to feel the effects of it quickly. Um, so you know, I think it's important to discuss it because there is a lot of psychic attack energy out there, even in terms of people. Um, thinking poorly of you, but I do know from the paranormal investigations I've done and the haunted places I've done that you do need to be shielded. Right. And, um, you know, it's very common when you watch, even when you watch, I don't know if you guys saw, I don't remember where they were, I think at a prison. I know, I'm sorry, I'm a ghost adventure fan, I can't help it. But it's an old habit. So <laughs> but um, yes, I'm inventing this. But they went to a prison, and I was so shocked because they are seasoned investigators, and they've been to some of the worst locations. And you know, Nick is still getting, you know, to me what was a form of possession, and that just like blows my mind. So have I guess I'm going to throw out a question to all of you: Have you ever experienced something um, more like a an attack or a you know, some form of oppression or possession or something followed you home from an investigation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, went right. a, I went to a, uh, a closed-down mental hospital, and I brought home about three things from there, even though I did psychic protection. It, it, it didn't matter. They were coming home with me. And it took me months, actually, to get rid of it. And and that's how I kind of got into um, the the part of the investigating part where I actually just help people deal with what they have in their house and cope with it, understand it. And not all spirits are bad spirits. Some some are good. Some are family members. Some are are looking after you. So it depends on what they have. But yeah, I have brought home some stuff, and and fortunately I've gotten rid of it. So and uh, that's what I do now is I help other people get rid of their get rid of their activities. Now, this brings about an interesting question that's a slightly, it's slightly a little bit different, but I think that it's an important question to ask. When people are having paranormal issues in their house and they are starting to get to the point where they're getting annoyed and frustrated and fighting with other family members excessively, how important is it um to try to stop the negative energy around the living while you're trying to clear out the paranormal activity. I want to jump in on that, and then you guys can comment too, because, Kara, it's really funny. Um, one of the things that I threaten my girls with, to be honest, is when they used to fight before, um, you know, I gridded my house with this <laughs> new thing, but anyway, that's all another subject, but they used to fight a lot, like cats and dogs, and I'd always say, you know what, this is, like, so negative. Like, you guys wonder why we have all this crap in our house, because definitely, absolutely, that negative frequency, that negative vibration is absolutely going to attract um, lower-level entities and, and ghosts, you know, the more depressed, the suicidal, the sad, the mad, the, you know, maniacs, the murderers, you know, whatever. You're going to attract those lower-level entities when you know, you're in a house full of fighting and rage or sadness or depression. And conversely, I mean, those kind of entities really, I mean, it might seem like they want to hang around you if you're, like, in a happy place, but 
but for some reason they really don't. You know, like attracts like, and you're drawn to the frequency that you're kind of, you know, hanging around in. So um, I think that's a great point, Kara, that definitely, you know, the mood of the environment definitely affects what you draw into your space. And and then it's like an interesting treadmill, though, because when people are having paranormal issues at their house and are being influenced by spirits, they could be on edge or they could be extremely frustrated, which leads to more family fighting when they're scared, or when you get to the higher level of the spirit actually oppressing and changing the mood of the person. So it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like being on a hamster wheel. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. That's something actually um, exactly what you're talking about, Tara. That's whenever I do the uh, private investigation, we'll go in and – Right away, it's like the first thing you want to do is just talk to the client. Not only do you want to figure out what type of activity, but also if there's any influence related to the relationship of the family, family members fighting, who's fighting, um, and um, also whereabouts, if that's inside any any part of the house or maybe if it's inside, maybe if they have an extended room uh, out in the back or something like that. That type of stuff I, I do end up documenting um, as of, you know, some months back, but I know in the beginning we didn't because I didn't know about that, uh, the influence. But now, yes, that is, that is something that I, I, I kind of go in and I start asking questions about. And I kind of know that whenever I'm asking questions and the client's looking at me like, well, what does that have to do with it? And I guess a lot of people don't really know that there is the influence that, you know, of paranormal activity that's going on inside the house will actually um, can influence their own um, manners or their own, uh, you know, I guess, words and verbiage that they use to go ahead and start fighting or pick fights with uh, family members and just the mood that's inside that house. You know, it, it might have been a nice, happy time before activity started, and then from there it started to be drawn more because of something that's there at that house. Um, at least from my experience, that's what I have noticed. You know, that, that and I'm sorry, Kimberly, I sound like I'm taking over your show. But uh, but I actually have an important question. I I give so much thanks to God that Kimberly invented that cool paranormal protection thing. I think that that's really, really helped out around here. Not that we had much of a problem when it came in, but definitely we needed the help anyway, being in the industry that we're in, which is paranormal spiritual. Um, but when I cleaned out my mother's estate, and that's a whole other story we won't go into, uh, I ended up having to take quite a bit of things back home. And I really didn't like the energy of a lot of these things, but I have to, you know, dell them out to certain people. It's, it's Some of the things, it's like you can't throw it away. It's like photos or baby clothes or marriage license. Um but, you know, I do notice that there's an intense energy off of it. I try to sage once a week. I try to um, sprinkle sea salt on the items. But do you guys have any suggestions for having things like that in your house that could have some sort of attachment on it or just energetic blah? Because, uh, you know, that definitely is a gateway. And I won't go into my mother's house, but... Um, I will say that that house has always had really strong paranormal activity, so it's coming out of a, a pretty energetic place. Well, for, certainly everything holds energy. Um, everything from, you know, the, the walls in your house to the items that you bring in. Um, I had a, a call a few weeks ago. A woman picked up a 
rocking chair from the from the trash. And she brought it in her house and she was cleaning. She went to pick something up and the rocking chair moved all the way against the wall. <laughs> so oh, I mean wow. everything everything holds energy. And whatever whatever was around that rocking chair or whatever was attached to it, she got rid of the rocking chair. Um, and she hasn't had any more problems. Uh, I would have told her to take it back to where she got it from, but she just threw it out. Um, but like like you said, it's so important to understand that things hold energy, and it could be it could be something from uh, someone that you didn't get along with that might be in your house now, and that's going to affect you if you don't deal with that, understand what it is, and get rid of it. And, and I will tell you, as soon as you get rid of that item, you're going to feel 100% better. Just knowing that 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 piece of of it could be something from like a, a bad marriage, and you have like you said a marriage certificate, or you have something sitting around your house that reminds you of that person. Get rid of it because it, it could mm-hmm. affect you know your it could affect your whole energy and, and it affects your life. Oh, uh, Kimberly. Yes. Can we tell the quick story of the demon doll real quick? The demon. Yes. The yeah, doll. Okay, all right. Uh, this is just a quick, uh, hopefully you guys find humor in it. But my dad was mailing me some old stuff from my from my old house. And included in the bottom was this creepy-looking baby doll. I mean, it was obviously very used, but I, did, I didn't remember playing with it as a child. Well, um, I packaged everything back in the box because the energy just felt so ick. I'm like, I'll go through it later. So I sealed the box. came out in the morning and that doll was on the couch and my daughter found it and it suddenly became her new best friend and when I went outside of the house she had this doll which was making me uncomfortable I look in this doll's mouth and it seriously like had black mold or something growing out of its mouth freaked me out I took her into I took the doll into a gas station bathroom and I'm like pouring hot water over it, basically performing a mini exorcism. And I send a picture to Kimberly. I'm like, Kimberly, what do you get off this doll? And she's like, burn, baby, burn. Uh, so I have forgotten to dispose of that doll. It is still in the trunk of my car, uh, but I have to get it out of out of the way because this this doll seriously has given me the creeps. Well, one of the things. That- can I, one of the things you can do real quick is is um, put that doll in a bag full of sea salt mm-hmm. before you get rid of it so that it neutralizes any of that negative energy that it may hold. Well, that's awesome. Kimberly's probably saying you need a lot of sea salt. <laughs> I'm saying you need a lot of gasoline in a match. That's what Kimberly's saying. <laughs> um, well, it's funny, you guys, because when I first, um, started clearing houses when I was in my 20s. Not that I'm too far out of them now, but when I was in my 20s, houses, one of the things I did was I would walk through a house, and because of my abilities, I would just go by the feel of the room. And so if a room felt like there was something, quote, um, that was drawing negatively, like you guys were talking about, I would go find it. And, and you would be surprised. It's exactly true what Walt said. I mean, even what appears to be a little bit innocent, you know, isn't innocent. We all know the obvious things, like, you know, a satanic Bible or a Ouija board. I mean, that's certainly going to draw some negativity or more. Um, But, you know, there were a lot of things that people would have. They'd have, like, old heavy metal albums that they didn't listen to. Or, I mean, just, you know, I'm not criticizing anyone's taste in music, but 
you know, just things that you don't even think about. And a lot of times that stuff is, you know, can be a portal or an entrance or permission for certain things to come into your home. Not always. It just depends on the situation. So absolutely seeing sold energy. As a matter of fact, when you guys start talking about this, I was thinking about Melinda's show because she just did a show. Was it on, is it called like, what's it called when you touch Psycho an object? Psycho, uh, whatever. Psycho, psychometry? Because it's psych, I don't psych, know how to say yeah, that. Yeah, like psychometry. Right, psychometry. Well, one thing was funny because I was listening to Melinda's show and I was in the chat room and Melinda said, does anyone have questions on psychometry? And I thought, well, no, because, I mean, I don't read like that. I don't need an object to read, although some people get pictures and visions and all sorts of crazy stuff when they touch an object, which is just what Walt said and what we were talking about. And one way I like to say it is energy is impressed upon matter. You know, it's a quantum physics principle. And one thing when I, my undergraduate degree is in communications. When I went in college, um, one of the first things, because um, it, it's very strongly slanted toward radio, fancy that, but one of the first things we learned was that energy is layered, these frequencies are layered in the walls. And one of the technologies that the um, embassies had been using for years and the different spy technology was they could tune to a specific frequency because everyone's voice is a specific frequency, and they could beam these um, machines at the embassies from outside or, you know, any place where top-secret meetings were going on or mob or, you know, on-and-on criminal activity. And they could pull every single conversation that had ever been said in that building out of the walls. It's layered with the most recent being on the outside. Isn't that cool? And you wonder why you walk in some houses and it's like, oh, this is a beautiful, peaceful house. And you wonder why you walk in some houses. It's because that that those words are just sitting there in the walls, vibrating. It's just crazy, and they're putting that energy out into the room. So I think that's really cool. That's like a scientific explanation for the feeling that some of us get. So my two cents. Wow, that is crazy. That makes me want to move out tonight. Sorry. <laughs> Especially if you live in an apartment. Or some place, you know, where there's a lot of in and out or a dorm room in college. I think of all the places or prisons, you know. It makes a lot of sense when you start thinking of it, you know, even from that perspective. Exactly. Um, I, I have a question. Um, how do you guys feel, and, and you, TG, how do you feel about Ouija boards? If you were to go into a house and the client said they had a Ouija board. Uh, that's a, that's a no-no. Uh, I mean, of course, we all know that already, but we actually did an investigation. Um, this might answer your uh, question. Um, we actually did an investigation, and the client had a Ouija board, and they had all kinds of stuff that was kind of going on, and as we were talking uh, to the client, trying to figure out what was going on, we didn't know. That was never brought up. And then as we started talking more and we actually were exploring the house, there was so much activity that was going on, uh, we had uh, Stephanie, the psychic medium, just seeing different things. And throughout the rooms, we've seen shadows going right in front of us. I got all kinds of voices uh, on my digital recorder from that place. We must have walked away. Um, well, I don't want to uh, number how many uh, EVPs we got, but there was so much that we got. Finally, the client ended up asking us, or excuse me, uh, telling us that they had a Ouija board. When we found that out, I kid you not, we brought it out. We were inside part of the house. We had digital recorders set up right by it, and then we were right by it asking questions, it got even more intense when that was brought up. We knew at that point at least part of it, or if not all of the cause of that house, was because of that Ouija board. We yeah, had the, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Walt. 
Yeah, I, I just agree with you that, that, that you know, it's it's not just a, a piece of plastic or cardboard or wood. It, it actually, you can make your own Ouija board. It's it's just a dangerous thing, and and really, it, it causes a lot of paranormal activity. And it's it's not a it's not a toy, for sure. In fact, the, the first movie, The Exorcist, was based on somebody a true story of somebody using a Ouija board. So I mean, it's not a toy. Correct. Yeah, I definitely agree that. that. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry, TJ. Oh, okay. Um, no, I was gonna say yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember uh, I've never played with this before. I've been with friends that have. Um, I think it was just more they wanted, and this was many years ago, I think that they just wanted to go ahead and see, does it really move? You know, I mean, you always hear the talk mm-hmm. about, you know, you can ask questions and it's going to move and it's going to give you letters and yes or no uh, type answers. And um, like I said, I remember just uh, standing, you know, in the same room watching them play it, and I wouldn't play it. And um, I didn't know too much about it at the time other than, you know, pretty much what everybody probably ends up seeing on, on TV or, you know, if they hear of uh, people playing it. Um but afterwards, once, once uh, you know, when I had got in the field, um, that was definitely a no-no um, to even play with, mess with, you know, even touch. Uh, whenever um, clients would end up saying that they had it, you kind of don't want to lean towards that to go ahead and say that's where all the activity is coming from. But at the same time, you know, once you start following the steps, it kind of leads you in that direction and lets you know, you know, there is that cause. Even though it's a board, even though it's, it's a game that could be sold, it really holds a lot of. Uh, it could open up a lot of uh, a lot of doors that one doesn't want to uh, open. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, when when my old group would go out to do a, a an investigation, one of the questions that we ask is, "Do you have a Ouija board?" And if they said yes, we would not even um, we would either take the Ouija board from them before we would do an investigation, or we wouldn't even do the investigation if they admitted to have one. Because sometimes they say, oh, we got it, but we threw it out. And here it's hiding oh, yeah. in the closet somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So we take it, and sometimes they'll just leave it on the on church steps <laughs> and let, the, oh, yeah. you know, let somebody bind it because we don't want nothing to do with it. Right. That's funny. Well, what do you guys think? Okay, well, what's the difference, which I have my own opinion, but what's the difference between a Ouija board and an ovulus? Or what's the difference between uh, I love playing devil's advocate. Or what's the difference between a Ouija board and um, a ghost box? Yeah, that, that's a good question. For and I have had um, personal concerns about that because I I think they both kind of operate in the same manner. You're you're inviting a response from something unknown, and uh, and I'm glad that you said that because I mean. Most of the time, you get nothing. If you if you go in somebody's house and you do a, an EVP or something, I mean, if you do it in a, in a place that already has activity, I think it's not so bad. I don't recommend ever investigating your own house because you get caught up in it and it, and it can create a bigger problem. Um, but I think I think there's a close similarity to it. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that there, there's been a few times that I know that uh, other people have used um, you know those devices, um, the uh, ghost box and the obelisk. But um, I haven't. I mean, I've been there, you know, at the investigations to go ahead and, and uh, see. I I kind of at least for me. I mean, yes, it is. There is a similarity uh, to it. 
but at least for me, I mean, I just want more depth. I mean, I, believe me, I'm not saying to go ahead and use it, and I'm not saying that I use it, but I think that when it comes down to the amount of material that's coming out, I think the Ouija board is going to have more of it because I have heard the radio, you know, the, whether it's the AM or the FM stations being uh, scanned, it just doesn't seem like it's the same type of material coming out versus if it was, you know, gliding and it was actually making something. Whenever, I mean, we did we did one like just a couple of weeks ago and, and somebody was using that. And, um, you know, you ask a question, you could ask, you know, somebody's name and then it's calling people's names. It just seems like a form of you're trying to make it work. So it's like if there's somebody in that, uh, group that their name happens to be, you know, uh, Mary, and Mary comes up, then right away, say, oh, okay, you know, they're calling you, they're calling you, you know, somebody's here, you know, uh, whatever whatever one does, whether you, uh, thanks for um, making the communication, or it could it could zone right through different uh, names, and being it's not associated to anybody that's in the group, we don't really associate it with any, you know, we're making any type of contact, versus the board itself, I think that you just, it's a little bit more solid when it comes down to the evidence that's coming out, just because of you know, the movement, I guess, and nobody's touching it, and, you know, you're asking the questions, and right away it's swaying from one, you know, letter or from the uh, yes or no. Um, I don't know, I kind of go a little bit more on that end, but, again, I'm not saying that, that I would definitely use it, though. Kara, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, as far as uh, the Ouija board would go, I would never, ever, ever use it. I know that there's a lot of professional people um, in the industry who are like, it's great and it just matters what your intentions are. Um, but, you know, I just feel like it's just a huge calling card. I know that there's a lot of other things out there that you do that are huge calling cards, but... I've just always had a bad feeling about it. I haven't heard too many positive things come from it. Uh, so I'm just very reluctant to ever touch one of those. Call me superstitious or call me smart. That is my case. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if anybody would like to call in and and tell us their experience with the Ouija board. Um, that would be pretty cool great. to hear somebody calling in for that. And, and I don't know, can, what's the phone number again? Um, it's six four six five six four nine seven one two, and I'm gonna um, drop out for a minute because I'm going to try to get our guest on. We have to call him, and I've never done that, so you guys are gonna have to continue. God without. you, Kimberly. Godspeed. Well, you're coming with me. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, TG, it looks like it's us and Kareem. Hey, Kareem, have you ever heard of anybody using a, a Ouija board, any of your friends or yourself? Well, um, I never used it, but I know plenty of people that did. And um, uh, either bad things happen to them, like they got injured or something, or right now they're not mentally all there. So I never really? touched it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's, what, what about good? Good. Go ahead, everyone. Go ahead, Okay. I was just going to mention, hey, uh, Corinne, uh, did, did uh, they ever mention anything else kind of going on? I know you were mentioning that that kind of went on with them, but what about the house? Did they get any activity inside the house as well? Well, I'm, I've never been in those houses. Uh, you know, when they told me that they had those things, I was just like, I stayed away, so... I know. Yeah. All I know is when they used to tell me that they want to play with it, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll play with that because I'm, you know, I, I came from a family 
and he was like, don't play with these, don't play with those, and don't play with these. So that was one of the things that said don't play with. I was like, don't play with it. But, um, you know, like I said, when the receiver, they either got hit by a car. I know a dude that got hit by a car uh, the next day, and he just got back up and started walking like it was nothing. And he's wow. one of probably the worst people that I know. So, you know, something obviously got into him. And, um, hmm. you know, there's a lot of things, that strange things that happen to people. And then they, um, you know, like I said, if they didn't get hurt physically or mentally right now, they're not all there just from playing with that board. I don't know if it was just directly with that board or if they kept messing with stuff. They
<laughs> who are you asking? Anybody who who wants to chime in. <laughs> I would say it doesn't have to because if anyone knows me at all, you know what I do, and you know that I channel 24-7 all the time. And, um, you know, you also know I have very highly developed psychic kids, and actually... It, it just depends. It goes back to the spiritual protection aspect and what frequencies are surrounding your home, what frequencies are surrounding your yard, and and do you understand that this is a frequency battle and do you know how to manipulate that in your favor? So I would say it doesn't have to. However, I would say the uneducated or the people that don't know the same things that some of us know would experience horrendous problems would be my guess. You know, one thing I do notice, and my house has gotten really quiet since I got your your protection device, and I, I want to thank you for that um, because, you know, I just really do, and I really want people to know that it does work for me. But when I, when I moved in here about three years ago, this place was dead as a doornail, and maybe my intuition was dead as a doornail too, and that was part of it, but... Every year that increased, especially last year when I began paranormal investigations and going to um, going to my show, doing my show, um, and working that circuit more, that's when interesting things started really happening here. So I never really felt like there was really any res- residual. Now I'm starting to feel like there's much more to it. Do you think that it's because of the work that I've done, or do you think it's just because my intuition has heightened so much that it's kind of I've kind of become a calling card, you know, like the apartment they all go to or try to go to? <laughs> you guys, do you want to answer? Um, I think I think the more intuitive or more uh, the more you build up your psychic ability, the more um, the, the more spirits or outside spirits want to get in contact with you <laughs> because they can sense that you're you're uh, a little bit different and you can talk to them. So they're going to find you and seek you out. So I, I do agree that the more sensitive you are, the more likely you are to have uh, more activity around you. Yeah, I got to okay. agree as well. Um, cut it off. I know we we are just getting going. The, the four or five of us could talk about this for absolutely ever, but I do amazingly with my knowledge of technology or my limited knowledge of technology, coached by Kara, I do have our next second hour guest, which I'm really excited about. Um, Arthur's on the phone right now. So, I'm, Kara, would you mind introducing him or, or reading his bio, please? And we'll go ahead and kind of have a rough switch of topics, but we'll kind of switch topics. And... Um, yeah, Carol, introduce him, and then we'll welcome callers after he's done um, talking for a while as well. If you have questions for him, you can call in. But, Carol, would you mind introducing him? All right, everybody. For the second hour tonight, we have Arthur Farum. Arthur is an investigative historian and has discovered protocols used for thousands of years in both ancient and historical times, which have left a historical record of man's history throughout the ages. Arthur was born in Fort Worth, Texas. When he was 13, he moved to California. Arthur graduated from Anaheim High School in Anaheim, California. After high school, Arthur served nine years in the Marine Corps, at which time he was awarded the Purple Heart in Vietnam. When Arthur was discharged, he went to work for the federal government as an air, as 
an air traffic controller and later a computer analyst. After retiring from the government at age 50, Arthur completed his bachelor degree and went on to law school in preparation for opening his own business. After numerous corporations, Arthur be- after starting numerous corporations, Arthur began doing research on his family history, which led him to his current vocation and where we are here tonight. Everyone, this is Arthur Barham. Maybe. <laughs> Welcome to the Secret to Everything, Arthur. How are you this evening? I'm just fine. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Well, could you start off um, sharing with us? That's kind of a big jump um, from an a, attorney or going to law school to where you ended up now. And you mentioned or Kara read in your bio that that had something to do with family history. But could you kind of tell us how you got from an And I happen to read some of your research papers and look at your very um, respected peers. You've really amassed yourself into this field and are, you know, quite highly thought of. So I wondered just how you got kind of from there to where you are today. Could you tell us about that journey? Yes, uh one of my philosophies is that when you reach a goal, you always have to set a new goal, because if you don't, you probably just wither away. Uh, I started out in the Marine Corps and was lucky enough to be an air traffic controller in the Marine Corps, and when I got out, I became uh, an air traffic controller in the FAA. And then again, I was lucky enough to retire when I was 50 years old, and I hadn't finished college yet, so I went to college, and uh, then I wanted to start a business, so I knew the best way to defend yourself in a corporation is to have a law degree. So I didn't get a law degree. I just went to the first year of law school to get all the background. And uh, it proved very, very uh, helpful because if somebody's trying to sue you and they know they've got to pay a lawyer and you're doing it yourself, <laughs> they give up. <laughs> but anyway, I, after running a couple of corporations, I retired and... Uh, I had, when I was a child, my grandfather was telling me all the things that our family was doing in England before they came over here in 1900. And uh, I decided I would do my family history and see if all the things he told me were true. And sure enough, once I got into it, it was uh, so fascinating I couldn't quit. And believe it or not, I traced our family history all the way back to 43 B.C., when the Romans wow. invaded England. And uh, during all this uh, <coughs> research, I learned a lot of things about the Celtic culture and some of the secrets that they had employed over the years. And uh, some of the research I did led me to the United States, uh, in particular the Newport Tower in Rhode Island, which has been a mystery for hundreds of years. Uh, as to why it's there. So I started working on that, and lo and behold, I was able to solve why it was there, and the reason it was there is to point out a very important survey marker in Minnesota called Inspiration Peak. And Mm -hmm. uh, doing research on that, uh, I learned about the uh, ancient practice of geoglyphology, at least that's what I named it. It's been around for 10,000 years, and... uh, what it is, is is these cultures, including a lot of cultures that have been around since historical times, built, built monuments, pyramids, 
and geoglyphs on the ground, Nazca Lines is a good example, uh, that outlined their territory. And uh, through decoding all these things, they, they lead from one to the other, so it's not hard to find them. There are many I found out in the middle of nowhere, and the only reason I found them is because another geoglyph pointed to it because the person that built that geoglyph thought it was important to go to that to to be to have a geoglyph in that particular location. So I'm not going to give myself all the credit for finding them. I've found thousands of them all over the world, and uh, they all have the same protocols. They've all been the same down through time, even from 10,000 years ago. And but anyway, that's what geoglyphology is all about. And there's certain protocols that go along with it, which, if we have time, I'll get into. But I don't think we'll have time for that. Okay, I know this is a random question, but it's something I'm interested in. I've been studying. Um, <clears throat> so does this have anything to do? And maybe I'm just like bringing something that has nothing to do into this conversation, which is not unusual. But does this have anything to do, or is what you study the signposts? And I know your book, and we haven't really talked about it. Um, is it called ancient signposts? But does it have anything to do with the ley lines? And you know, I knew you were going to ask that. That is the first question that everybody asks me. And uh, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the ley lines. But I can see why everybody thinks it does. Now, ley lines are magnetic anomalies that occur yeah. around the Earth, uh, particularly in straight lines. And uh, it's been found that ancient cultures tended to build ancient structures along these lines because they thought they had uh, spiritual and healing properties. Uh, no, this is different in that these things are built at uh, geo, uh, geographical points uh, selected, not at random, but in particular places where they can work out a geometrical puzzle and put on the ground for for to mark territories but it's uh it's a totally different thing. Okay. I was just curious. What's that? No, I was just I was just curious. So so okay. Well, we'll go on. We'll go on from there. So, um let's uh let's kind of go since I mentioned it. Let's go to ancient signposts. What is ancient signposts about? Is it a record of its work that you've been doing? Um, yes, it, over these years, it was it was uh, the you still there? Uh huh. Okay, it was a uh, it's a record of my initial work that includes uh, the Newport Tower that I was telling you about, Inspiration Peak. Uh, another thing is a, a a map called the Perry Reese map, which is one of the oldest maps known in the world, and on this Perry Reese map there were little circles that were located all over the earth. And uh, I decided to go to the places, the geographic place where all these little circles were located. And in every place that I went where these little circles were on the map, there was a geoglyph. So and this map came out in 1515, but it's obviously, obviously a copy of information that was gathered over hundreds, if not thousands of years before that. And it proved that this practice was being used long before Columbus ever came to America because these things were all over the world, and this map was put out just uh, 
oh, let's say uh, 15 plus 8, what, 23 years after Columbus discovered America. And uh, during this, I've also also run down the history of why Columbus was here, but that would take me two hours to explain, so I'm not going to go into that. Ah. Um, so what, well, okay, I don't know if that's too big a question. So tie in, um, I guess, what what does that mean for us today? Does this have some sort of significance? Is this something we should be paying attention to? What well, does this mean for us today? Well, it's it's not too well known yet, but uh, it's gathering momentum with people all over the world. I have uh, 5,000 hits on my website which I'll give to you right now. It's uh, com, and that's the Farum, F-A-R-A-M, foundation.com. And uh, there are organizations similar to this all over the world that are finding 10,000-year-old pyramids. I just did a study on the Bosnian pyramids, which is on that website if you care to look at it. And... Uh, the Newport Tower, the uh, the uh, Kensington Room Stone, those are, on, those are on there. And also a YouTube video that tells you exactly how this thing works. So if you go to that website, you'll find all about what I'm talking about. But there are people all over the world, and this stuff is developing so fast, and they're finding, they're finding uh, ruins that are 10,000 years old, which was right after the Ice Age. And this, this all has a pattern that the people that survived the major ice age that happened somewhere like 1700 or 17,000 BC to like 10,000 BC right after that time period there tem- tends to be a, a lot of megaliths that were built that uh, are in that time period that they're just now finding now so like 5 or 10 years ago people were telling the public that Civilization only went back like 5,000 years, 6,000 years. Now we're finding out it goes back 12,000 years. And uh, it probably goes back much further than that, but due to the Ice Age diminishing the population and then them recovering, we're just finding the, the uh, monoliths that they were building when they were recovering. But uh, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, have, I have a quick question oh, for you. What does it mean um, to you? Let, let me finish asking. I remember now. What okay, go ahead. Let me finish. The uh, the history books, uh, God bless them, I guess they were given out the information that they had available to them. But uh, the history books are totally obsolete now. All the, all your ancient history books, you might as well throw them in the trash because they're not <coughs> even close to the truth of what's happened over the past 12,000 years. And even I'm even talking about uh, from... from uh, the time of Christ till now, uh, this, even with the uh, founding of the United States, is totally different from what your history books say. Now, I'm not talking about the political part of George Washington and all that, but I'm talking about the colonization part before George Washington. But that's why we need it, because it's it's changing history totally. Hmm. <clears throat> I have a question for you. Um <clears throat> Like, like, um, do these maps give you any indication? Like, because cause Egypt and, and, I mean, the 
pyramids are just absolutely amazing to see. I've, I've never been there, but I hope to one day go. But like Stonehenge or, or pyramids, I mean, do these maps or anything give any indication of how these pyramids or Stonehenge were, were built? Exactly. Uh, Stonehenge is one of these geoglyphs. And by mapping out Stonehenge in the way, the directions that the uh, rocks point. Now, a lot of people up to this time have called Stonehenge an astrological observatory, and, and it is. What One of the beauties and the magic of these people that built these things, that they were able to both apply uh, geoglyphic qualities as well as astrological qualities within everything they built, which took a lot of intelligence to do that. But Stonehenge is one of the things that I uh, decoded. And Stonehenge maps out a territory that includes the Celtic territory, Celtic territory that we all know uh, around England, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Norway, Galicia, around that area. It not only maps that out, but it extends it clear over to Canada. And strangely enough, it ends it rightly where, right where the Canada United States border is, and then you have another territory that's that's uh, pointed out by the Inspiration Peak monument in Minnesota, which delineates the territory that's almost identical to the United States as it is today. Then you have another one, which is Chichen Itza, that outlines Mesoamerica, and then you have another one at Corral, Peru, which was a bunch of buildings that were built uh, 5,000 years ago, where the walls point to all the boundaries around South America that uh, delineate that as a territory. So that's that's the history that this is uncovering. Totally makes the rest of the history of the world obsolete. Does it tell you how it was built? Though, like, how did they move those large stones? <laughs> no, that nobody's figured that out yet. However. Okay. Uh, anybody that's a transcendental meditation person uh, has a good idea how they were doing it. Uh, God, in the Bible, God said, or somebody, whoever wrote this, said that anyone that has the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. And the uh, Tibetan monks teach that if you are spiritual enough, that you can move rocks like that. So. Up till now, that's the only explanation. I'm not saying that is the explanation, but right. it's the only one that makes any sense at this point. Mm. Have, you, have you ever been to Stonehenge? I mean, I guess you have. No, I, I, I feel like I have because I studied it so much, but oh, my, okay. most of my studies are from satellite images. Oh, okay. Are there uh, geoglyphs um, all around the world? All around the world. There is not a continent. And are hardly an island that has not been visited by the Portuguese and the people before them uh, and have left these geoglyphs to mark the fact that they've been there. And uh, which of the geoglyphs is probably the, the most or the well-known one uh, of the geoglyphs? Probably Stonehenge. Stonehenge? Mm-hmm. Um what about uh, the Nazca Lines? How, how does that uh, kind of fall into the geoglyphs? I know this is, you know, Stonehenge is probably built where the Nazca Lines is a little bit more different because it's more on a uh, uh, right. surface. 
Well, like I said, this has been going on for 10,000 years, and people have all kinds of speculation on what the Nazca lines are. And uh, my interpretation is that people were trying I've, – I've mapped out a lot of them, like the hummingbird, for instance. That's mm -hmm. a geoglyph that points to a territory. And, uh, of course, the, uh, the other ones uh, – I've mapped out many of the animals, and they are all geoglyphs that point to certain territories. But uh, – the other lines, my my concept is that this has been going on for 10,000 years and people have just been overlaying somebody else's one on top of the other. In fact, the, they've got so frustrated they started lopping off the tops of mountains to make their geoglyphs point to where they wanted so that nobody could cover them up. But one, one geoglyph that stands out that can prove my point, that if you look at the Nazca Valley from above in a satellite picture, uh, with north at the top, and go all the way to the left of the valley, there's a giant star there, and I'm, I don't know the length of the sides. I've never measured them, but I would guess they're probably 20 or 30 miles long. But there's a giant star there that points to many major cities around uh, South America and, and, uh, and uh, Europe. I know you mentioned that a lot of them are pointing in certain directions, is there a reason? Did they did they use like um, are they following astrology or are they following more um, geography or something like that for them to it's be pointing in a certain geography? In fact, one of the protocols that they use, especially around South America, is to make sure that the reader knows that they're pointing to the proper place. Another thing too, on all the major geoglyphs, there's always two solutions, uh, so that you know you've got the right solution. They never give you they never give you just one. It's like proving your math in school. They they always give you two solutions so you know you've got the right one. But uh, in South America especially, the way they delineated that, their their radials point to a river entrance. And, of course, there's many river entrances around uh, South America, but every one of their radials points to a river entrance, which is one of the confirmations that you can use that you're pointing in the right direction. Now, they're, they're south, the one from Corral, Peru, is on the delineate South American territory. But the, the double check on that that they gave is two of the radials from Corral, Peru, go through the center of uh, South America. And if you follow those two radials, you'll find a 22-mile wide man-made circle in the center of South America, one of those radials went to the on one side of it, the other radio went on the other side of it, and that's how I found it. And this 22-mile circle is important because if you go to uh, the meteor crater, crater up in north, north, just north of uh, South America, there's a, what do you call it, Antilles? Is that the name of those islands up there? But anyway, the mm -hmm. circle of islands just north of South America, there's a circle there. Well, that's from a meteor strike. And if you go to the center of that meteor crater and draw a line through that circle I told you about, it comes precisely at the very tip of South America. Now, if you draw a line from that center of that meteor crater over to the Galapagos Islands and then back to that circle that's in the center of, of uh, South America, you have a perfect equilateral triangle. So that's, that's the kind of thing they give you to check your work to make sure that you're correct. 
Interesting. Um, uh, is there? Do you think that um, geoglyphs were made for maybe extraterrestrials due to you could only see them from, like, the air in order to go? I mean, cause it kind of seems like you could be actually in one of them, but being that they're so long, so lengthy, that you probably don't even know what you're standing on, but above air, you're probably able to see and make out different figures. Because I know you, you had mentioned that you use a lot of satellite images. Yeah, well... Uh, that's a legitimate question, and it's one that I haven't come to terms with yet. Uh, I, since they knew astrology so well, it's not beyond the realm of belief that they could map, if they had a map of the world, that they could precisely uh, run these lines. Some of these lines run for a thousand or 1,500 miles and come within hundreds of feet of what you would do on a satellite line that you draw on the ground. And so whatever they used was very precise, but I have not yet come to terms with the fact that you uh, have to be in the air, that that they did them so that you could be in the air. Because except for the Nazca lines, you can't see them. You know, it's an imaginary line from one point to the other. The only place you see the line is uh, a few hundred feet from the center of the geoglyph, the direction is pointing. From that point on, it's an imaginary line, so, you know, it served no point to be in the air to look at it because you couldn't see it anyway. Mm -hmm. I see. Now, you set up your own research foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the work that uh, the foundation does? Yes. Uh, at the present time, we're we're working around the world trying to find these geoglyphs and record them. And uh, so far we have several thousand of them. And uh, wow. recent, recently, uh, myself and other scientists, I don't consider myself a scientist, I can all call these other people are real scientists, but uh, I consider myself an investigative historian that is just fortunate enough to have be able to do this type of work. But anyway, we have just established a worldwide um, uh, website where scientists all over the world can get into this field and other other fields that are on the periphery of science that uh, academia will not accept because it doesn't meet their criteria. And like I said before, their criteria is outdated with all the modern technology we have, and they refuse to acknowledge it, which is just perpetuating the problem that we have, and that's why we started this other organization, and if you care to look at it, and there's just some amazing science in this thing, if you care to look at it, the uh, the uh, website is www.earthinternationalresearchsociety.com. So that's where this is going, and it's moving so fast that anyone that doesn't jump on the bandwagon is going to get left in the dust because uh, it's revolutionizing world history, science, and just everything else we know about. And uh, one of the things that I've come to believe is that, you know, everybody's talking about the Mayan calendar and the end of the world in December and all that. Well, my, my conception of all this is that this is the beginning of a time of greed and war and the beginning of a time of wisdom. And all these things that we're discovering right now is kind of proof of that. We have a question for the chat room. Um, it says, 
Do the geoglyphs themselves have meaning besides leading to a direction? Can you tell what happened to people from these? Yes. Uh, in fact, the, the best one I can point you to is the Yanaguni Pyramid in Japan, and I have a website on that, too. It's very interesting. It's uh, www.yanaguni.ws. The WS is a world site, so it goes all over the world. And most of my hits off of that are from scientists all over the world. And Yanaguni is spelled Y-O-N-A-G-U-N-I dot W-S. But if you go to that, you will see a uh, pyramid that's been carved out of uh, rock that points to islands all over the Pacific and delineates the Japanese territory as it was 10,000 years ago. And the research that I've done on it, I believe there's a that it was a uh, a ritual site to perpetuate the human race at that particular time right after the apocalypse of of uh there was a solar flare along that time too that killed a lot of people in fact at the t- i don't know if this is the particular uh apocalypse that they were talking about but they the scientists said at one time there was only 3000 people left in the world and I, a lot of these big monuments that i found appear to be an attempt to have rituals to perpetuate the human race and make uh, sex a ritual so that people will perpetuate and quicken the reproduction of the human race. And I think Yanaguni was one of those. And if you go there, there's a complete explanation of why I think that. I think I'm from that time frame. (laughs) What's that? Um, I think I'm from that time frame. Yeah, that was a bad I joke. I didn't see that much. <laughs> but um, how do you think that that your discoveries have um, what, what do you think the lesson is for us today? I guess is what I'm I'm trying to get at. The lesson is that our concept of humanity over the past uh, thousands of years is wrong, and there were. There were people that restarted the human race about 10,000 years ago. And it goes back to uh, what Plato said, that uh, uh, it was called the Golden Age. And he, Plato himself, in his writing on Critias, uh said that in the Golden Age, the gods, and I consider the gods being people of knowledge, not necessarily God himself. He said the gods were assigned territories and they took over these territories and populated them and lived in peace all over the world until Poseidon, uh, the uh, protector of Atlantis, lost his land and he started a war in the Mediterranean. And ever since it's been downhill from there. But uh, these things have uh, mythical if not historic backgrounds to them. What what do you think we should do differently though now um, that we're not doing? Do you, do you sense that we are are kind of not living our lives the way we should be? Exactly, we're overpopulating the earth. We're using mm-hmm. up all its resources. We're at war when we don't have to be, and 
the most the most uh, satisfying thing is loving one another and and having a social life with each. That is the most important and most fulfilling part of being a human being, to my to my way of thinking. And mm-hmm. all this other stuff of accumulating money and fighting over land and all that is uh, is only in the interest of just a few people, like the one percent that has ninety percent of the wealth in the United States, for instance. Right. I'm sorry. I, I just want to make a statement, and then um, you can you can ask questions. But I just wanted to say thank you for serving our country too. I mean, you said you were in Vietnam, and that's certainly no easy uh, task. Yeah, well, Good. it has to be done, and uh, it's not it's not fun, but somebody has to do it because if everybody in the country was a pacifist, we'd be overrun. <laughs> I, I agree. Did you have a question? What's that? Um, I guess maybe you guys are a lot smarter than I am, but I'm kind of trying to figure this out. <clears throat> so how is this different? How is what you do and what you discover different from, like, a normal um, archaeological find? I'm still not quite clear on the difference. That's an, that's an excellent question, and it's one of the things that I present in most of the papers that I put out. Uh, archaeology goes to a site and they start digging on that site and they dig up pottery and they dig up uh, things like baskets that can be carbon dated to find out what date the thing is. Their their focus is on a small periphery around the site. Now what geoglyphology does will take that, if if the site is a geoglyph, which most of the older, larger sites are, Gobekli Tepe is the is a good example. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's just been discovered in Turkey, and I suspect it's going to be the most important uh, geoglyph. I've done part of the part of it that's been uncovered. I've already decoded, but I suspect that's going to be the most important geoglyph in the history of mankind. But Gobekli Tepe is uh, is a large complex. It's, the, large, the oldest of the ones they found so far, it's, it's 12,000 years old. And uh, it appears to me, just from the little bit that they've uncovered, that this, is gonna, that this structure or this community is going to be the United Nations of all these territories that I've identified. It's going to point and outline all these territories all over the world because there's something like 25 uh, geoglyphs within this complex and I suspect that each one of these geoglyphs is going to specify a different territory, but we won't know until we get them all uncovered. And uh, state your question again. I, th- I don't know if I've wandered off from it or not. Oh, no, I was just saying how is that different from archaeology um, and, oh, okay. you know, yeah. archaeology uh, right now. And it, she is doing a lot of what you're saying, you know, uncovering baskets, and um, she found a... Arrowhead, you know, and on and off, that kind of thing. And I also wondered what you meant, and I know this is a side question, when you say decoded. I don't, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Well, uh, there are protocols that's been developed by the ancients, all, and I've, over the years, I've figured them all out. And when I say decoded, I mean I've applied these protocols to these geoglyphs, and when you apply them, 
first the first thing you do when you find a geoglyph is decide if it's a real geoglyph or not. And most of them have a cardinal bearing on them, like 360, 90, 180, or 270, involved in all the bearings that they make up in order to identify it as a real geoglyph. But once you find that out, uh, you run the bearings of all the straight lines on this geoglyph. And uh, that's what I mean by decoding it. And then, then you run... That's not decoding. That's just the, the start of it. But then you run these bearings out, and once you leave the site, I call them radials because you have to go true north or true true bearing uh, from the site because of magnetic deviation. You can't use magnetic bearings. You can use magnetic bearings right at the site because there's no magnetic deviation. But once you leave the site, you have to use true bearings. And uh, once you get to the destination, you've figured out all the destinations that there's a geoglyph is pointing to, then that's what I call decoded. Okay. And through through uh, decoding these things, uh, oh, this gets back to what your question about uh, what houses different from archaeology. Well, you can, like I said, archaeology is a local thing, but you can take that same geoglyph and project the uh, lines out, and it'll tell you the bearings of the, I mean, the size of the territory that that particular uh, civilization uh, claimed as their own. Uh, it will also point to other uh, possible communities that the archaeologists can work on that they didn't even know about before. And uh, there's, it all, it can all by by the fact that it's a geometrical puzzle, uh, you can see the sophistic mathematic sophistication of the person, I mean, of the uh, society that did it. So there's just a lot of benefit to the archaeologists and the related disciplines that can this this can be applied to. Uh, the, um, you mentioned something about the, the Yanaguni Pyramid. I'm sorry. And the Yanaguni hear. Pyramid? Pyramid? Yes, yes. Um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I went on your website, and, and it looks like it's underwater. It is. It's what, under about what, 30 feet of water. How, how do you suppose that happened? Like, why Why do you think that happened? Or did they build it underwater? I mean, what What do you think the purpose? No, uh, all that? that's a good question, and I probably should have mentioned that before. Uh, when that was built, there was an, it was not covered with water. Over, over uh, the past... Uh, 12,000 years due to the ice melting at the ice. Remember, we had an ice age, and yeah. most of the, a lot of the water was up at the north and south poles. Well, when the ice started melting, the oceans started rising, and that's that's the result of that rising. Uh, when you see that it's, it's got 30 feet of water on top of it, it wasn't originally that way. So, so that happened from the ice age. Yes, you, melting okay. the ice. Huh. In fact, they're worried about New York right now. If, if we continue losing our ice cap, New York will be under about 10 feet of water. And when could that happen? I mean, is there a projected time of when that possibly would happen? It's hard to say. Uh, I think I think they projected in the past that I think that, that it rises 10 feet every hundred years, so 
but you know that can be changed if it gets real cold it'll stop uh, and it evaporates out of the ocean and goes back to the ice cap it could reverse itself you just never know it just depends on the weather uh, that's interesting that you bring that up because um, one of the places I'm, I've been considering moving and looking at houses the outer banks that everyone's predicting like the tsunami and a lot of disaster movies have good No, names, I would so. not I would not go near the ocean to buy a house because uh, uh, yeah that's yeah if if we there's just too many it's a wonderful place to live but there's just too many uh chances about it these days And does that kind of go with um everywhere by the ocean such as Florida and California everywhere Everywhere okay mm. What do you think is a safe enough distance? Uh, you know, should you be a state away? Like, like, for instance, I live in Florida. I live in Orlando, so that's central Florida. Uh, is it better to to move up into the the states that are enclosed around land? It's hard to say. Like, like I said, mm-hmm. if things just continue at 10 feet every 100 years, if you're 20 feet above sea level and far enough away so you don't get a tsunami... You're probably all right, but you know, it's, who knows what the future holds? Now, tell us about some of the places. Have you traveled to some places in your research, or have you done most of your research at home? Uh, I've traveled uh, in the United States, and uh, one of the things, you know, one of the strange things is the rest of the world embraces this technology, but the United States, for some reason, once I've publicized some of these geoglyphs, they've just, somebody's destroyed them. There's some organization in the United States that doesn't want us to know our own history. And uh, you can go figure out who it is, but uh, the United States is a whole different animal when you come to science. Now, that, that leads me to a question I did have. Um, in your opinion, has history simply been misplaced? Or has it been deliberately hidden and altered? It's been deliberately hidden and altered. Uh, the uh, streets of Washington, D.C. is a geoglyph. Uh, the forts along the eastern seaboard that were built during the uh, Revolutionary War and the, and the Civil War are all geoglyphs. So there's no doubt that it's been because our government knows all about it and uses it. So why they're doing it? I have a lot of speculation, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. Okay. Now, are geoglyphs being discovered, or have they all been discovered? Uh, nobody's doing this work except me at the moment. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's all in I, your territory. Yeah. And uh, did, did, did you get any um, backlash? Uh, what, what's that? Did you get any um, uh Resistance or backlash from the archaeological community for your discoveries? Uh, the has archaeological anyone come, community has anyone has anyone come against you in in your archaeological community? Well, when I first started, they did because they had no proof that I was right. You know, I was just another crackpot. But once I had done it for about a year, and uh, I didn't make it a secret, I I publicized it every place I could to people that would be interested in it and uh I get no I get no static anymore. In fact, like I said, the Bosnian pyramid, uh, they, those guys asked me to do a study for them and several other people have uh asked me. 
and so now it's becoming more accepted because when I when I do a study and present it, I always include the math that was involved in pictures with lines drawn on them. So, and and there's no way you can deny uh, mathematics, which is the, the the voice of the universe, and pictures of physical rocks on the ground. So. It's it's becoming well accepted. In fact, I was also asked to be on this new organization, Earth Research Society, and so it's coming around. And it, this, you know, this organization we're starting is going to so overwhelm the scientific community. In fact, I've seen some scientists quoting some of the things I've said on the radio after I said them on the radio. So the community's coming around, and they have to because they're going to look like fools if they don't. Um, Arthur, Arthur. I had a, a, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, I, I had a question, and this might be a little bit uh, different, or it might be similar to what we're talking about. But um, where do um, would um, a geoglyph, at least comparable in today's today's time, would that be like say a crop circle, being that they use a lot of uh, geometry and different um, uh, formations that they end up doing? Um, where does that fall? That is a very good question. Uh, about six months ago, uh, these, a lot of these crop circles look exactly like geoglyphs. And the fact that some of them are triangles and stuff like that falls right into the area of the Egyptians and the Celts and a lot of other people and this sacred geometry. So I began to thinking that a lot of these crop circles might be geoglyphs that are trying to tell us a story. So I called the main uh, expert in England and asked him, to give me some information about it, because I can't study a crop circle unless I know what true north is. I have to know what true north is on any any of these before I can uh, study it, because it's all about directions. And uh, mm-hmm. I was completely blown away. He said, if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it and all this. So, you know, it's just one more thing where people, these modern, these uh, outdated scientists tend to think, that all their work should be kept secret, and uh, mm-hmm. that's fine because it's usually wrong anyway. The ones that the ones that have got something to say and uh, and are confident in their work publish it. Hello, and, and Sam, you've you've uh, written a book too. And what, what's the name of your book, and where can we find it? It's uh, called Ancient Signposts, and it's on uh, Amazon.com. Arthur, I have kind of a twist, kind of on TJ's question, but more extreme, because I'm more extreme than TJ. (laughs) (laughs) um, So does this at all factor in, because you started talking about the pyramids and sacred geometry and crop circles, so does this factor in at all um, to stargates or aliens? And I have my own view of aliens, so I put aliens in quotes. I'm putting air quotes around aliens when I ask that question. Well, I'm going to stick my neck out, which I usually don't. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's very possible that like twenty, fifty thousand years ago, we were visited by somebody and they gave us this knowledge, and then left, and then we've passed it down from one to the other ever since. But in recent history, and when I say recent history, I'm talking about like tw- the past twelve thousand years. Uh, it appears to me that it's just 
human beings passing this stuff down from one to the other. Now, the only thing that nobody's figured out yet is how they raise these 50-ton blocks of, of rock. Other than that, I've, I can explain it all as being human. You wait. You can explain it all as what? Being built by humans. Everything I oh, can explain I everything. I can explain everything except how they raise these rocks. Mm. Interesting. Well, when we had Jody Cook on our show, um, and I don't know who of my co-hosts were on that show, but one thing he talked about was he actually was part of a. Um, he does cryptos. But he was part of a group that was really into the UFO alien investigation, really, really heavy. And he actually stopped, you know, doing some of the more groundbreaking work because of, let's just say, intimidation by certain parties, which I think mm-hmm. everyone knows what I'm talking about. And so is there an element, obviously, I mean, an intuitive, and it doesn't take a big jump. I mean, you are doing somewhat of a groundbreaking Work and what's interesting is there there's some mysticism to it and there's some mystery to it and there's like you said that um, this is what I say you know knowledge it, it's so true knowledge is power absolutely a hundred percent of the time the more you know the more you can understand and apply to your life and actually I believe knowledge in the end becomes freedom so exactly. um, I applaud you you know for what you're doing although I do well, think there's you. an element of danger to it to be honest. Well, you know, I was worried about it at first, but it's so spread so much now that uh, even if somebody got upset about it, it's the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. Hmm. Well, um, we need to start wrapping up. Could you share with us? Um, I know you're on a number. Aren't you on a number of websites? Your studies or your? Um, I mean, I know your book is obviously available through Amazon, right? Right. Can you go? If you go to the, the if you go. If you go to the website, uh, thefarumfoundation.com, you'll see links to just about everything. Oh, okay. So everything, they can they can follow your work. Yeah. And, um, it's, it, it is really, really interesting. I'm actually going to refer my daughter to look into it because she would be really interested in it. And um, before we let you go, every, does anyone else have any questions? Any yeah, final uh, questions? I, just, I have one more quick question for him. Um, your your views on Atlantis and is it the same as everybody else said they got so powerful that it kind of self destructed or do you have a different view on Atlantis? Uh I have a different view. <laughs> In fact that that's another thing that uh, I've studied and I studied stuff on the ocean floor. And uh I think there's some people in Spain that they have found uh through X-rays of the Earth, an island just off the coast of Spain that is buried under uh, several feet of uh, mud, and it used to be a bay. And I think they found the island that Plato was talking about because it has the channels, it's circular, and all that. But that was not Atlantis. That was the island that he built for his wife, and uh, it was probably all that was left after Atlantis was flooded. Uh, I think Atlantis is real, and uh, it ex- the civilization that formed Atlantis was not just in the Atlantic. 
it uh, was in the Atlantic and the Pacific, both of which are now covered by water. And the connection between the two was through uh, Jarek Cruz, Mexico City. That was the the road they used to get from one to the other. Mexico City is probably one of the oldest cities in the world. Hmm. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Wow, this um, I actually think you probably brought up more questions than answers, but it was very interesting to get everyone thinking about. <laughs> well, have them, call me and have me back, and you can answer the rest of them. There you go, and and we'll have to um, we'll put the pressure on a little more to get you to reveal okay. some of the right. secrets. All right, <laughs> but, but we so but we so enjoyed it, and it was definitely a little bit of a different topic for us, but it also ties in with things that we talk about all the time. So thank you so much for You're coming welcome. in. I enjoyed it. I, I really appreciate it, and you really got us everybody thinking. So um, have a good evening, and thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Um, Carol, do you want to close out? Or do you guys have the feedback again? Yeah, I do. Probably call it a night and wrap it up while we're ahead, so to speak. So um, if um, Kareem, are you on? I don't even know who's on anymore, I guess. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Do you have the, did you have what I said? You want to check this out? You don't have to, if you could just run through the next couple of minutes and then maybe, I don't even know if we can hear Twitter again. We can't but, really hear it. Yeah, maybe Let's we should just do our contact night. info. Yeah, do our contact info and we'll see you tonight. And I apologize. I don't know if it's blog talk or our normal patterns of different we get on this show, but what's um, some great content. Thank you for listening and in um, next week. So I appreciate y'all. Well, as always, you can check us out at secrettoeverything.com for the latest news, product information, and services. You can also reach Dr. Kim at Serene Wellness on Twitter, Serenity Natural Wellness, or Kimberly McGeorge on Facebook, Walt at Ghost Hunter Walt, Kara at Coast to Coast Kara, uh, PG at Intuitive underscore PS, and me, King Cashflow, K-I-N-G-K-A-S-H-F-L-O at Twitter. And everybody have a great night. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening on our Secret to Everything with Dr. Kimberly McGeorge. Listen every Wednesday night, Eastern Standard Time, from 7 to 8 p.m. on Block Talk Radio.